off episode 145 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Saucy. It's from the band The Wawachis. It's on their album The Wawachis Ride. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, check them out over at thewawachis.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's our website. This is our podcast, Monster Kid Radio, where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited this week because I'm going to take you back a little bit to when we crashed the Joy Cinema here in Tigard, Oregon for a weird Wednesday showing of Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. That was a lot of fun. Now, I was asked to introduce the film. I was honored to do so. And I recorded it for you guys and gals. So we're going to be getting to that. Plus, we have the chat that we had in the lobby after the movie with myself, Maya Duncan, Jeff Polier of the Polier Graveyard, and Jeff Martin, the man behind the Joy Cinema. So you're going to hear that conversation here in a little bit. We also have our continuing countdown to Lugosi Ween. We're up to part seven. We're going to be doing that. And we're going to do a little bit of feedback. But we'll get to that here in a second. Because first, I want to tell you about everything else we've got going on here at Monster Kid Radio. You can find it over at our website. Again, that's monsterkidradio.net. From here, you can find links to our live 365 internet radio station, where we've got music and sounds from monster movies from the 30s to the 60s, with a little extra hearing there. Check that out. Listen to it all day. Sometimes that's what I do when I run out of things to listen to on my iPod. We also have links to every band that's appeared here on the show, including the band that you're hearing this week. You're going to hear that song in its entirety at the end of this episode. You can also find a link to our Facebook group and our contact information. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is our email address. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5M. K-R. I know the email address works. You know how I know? Because we got some email that I'm going to read here. Well, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do it right now. This is from listener Craig Chaos. Hey there, Derek. I really enjoyed these Nosferatu episodes. One of my fave of all time. And of course, we all love Dr. Gang Green. I've actually been enjoying his vocal work on the Creeping Crudes and Gino Royd albums. You know, Craig, I'll pass that compliment on to Dr. Gang Green. We're going to have him back on the show down the line. I have some ideas. I've been talking to him a little bit. Well, Make it happen. His email continues. I have to know what you thought of Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. We're going to get to that here in a second. Hang tight. Finally, he says, one thing I love about October is all the Monster Kid shirts that come out. He even included a picture of himself wearing what I assume is a new score. It's him wearing a King Kong t-shirt. That's pretty dope. I like that a lot. I've been trying to keep myself on a t-shirt hiatus for now because I've just got way too many of them and not enough places to wear them. He also included a picture of the Universal Monsters pop vinyl figures of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Looks pretty cool. One more thing to find space for if I ever get my hands on it. Oh, and Craig also started his own podcast. Look him up, uncommoninterests.libsyn.com. So go look him up, check it out, let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you or you heard about him over at Monster Kid Radio. Craig, thank you for writing in. I sat on this email a little bit. He sent it in about 10 days ago. I sat it on a little bit because I wanted to use it when we talked about Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. And we'll get into that right after this. The lonely, helpless earth. The 21st century. The world of the future. And lurking beyond the cold, strange immensity of conquered space. Growing 
and spreading beyond the warped imagination of the greatest human intellect, exploding in unspeakable horror, the green slime. The civilized world at war with alien form, whose slimy touch means instant, horrible death. Invaders from beyond the stars, the green slime. Robert Horton. Luciana Paluzzi. Richard Jacob. You make too many mistakes. You're not right for command. This is my command, and I'll manage it. Two men struggle for survival in the infected remains of a diseased universe. One woman searches for a last chance to save the human race from the desperate hunger of the green slime. Battle in space against faceless beings. A cosmic nightmare that sends you into the incredible, the short world of... Christopher, what insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. (laughs) Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something from archive.org and review and discuss it. (laughs) That sure is nice of us. (laughs) Sure. Why don't you click over to orphan-entertainment.jonja.net and remind yourself a little more about the show. Will do. So let's see. That's orphan-entertainment.jonja.net. Hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie sometime? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. to save a friend. She wanted a world of obedient killer zombies. Jesse James will kill us for what you are doing. Jesse James will be caught and hanged in Shelby. Her fiendish Frankenstein monster stalks the West's most fearless outlaw. Save your strength, Jesse James. You will need it. 
welcome to the Joy Cinema. Uh, I don't, hey, there you go. Yeah. I don't work here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Jeff could not be here tonight. He asked me to fill in. My name is Derek M. Cook. I produce a podcast called Monster Kid Radio. Thank you. <laughs> uh, on my podcast, we celebrate what we call the classics and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter is definitely one of those. <laughs> uh, I'm actually recording this intro for my podcast right now, and then after the show, I'll probably record a little bit about what I thought of it. If you are interested in appearing on my podcast, look me up in the lobby, and I'll shove a recorder in your face and get your thoughts on the film. How many people here have seen this movie? Yes. <laughs> I'm in the exact same boat as you guys because I haven't seen this movie all the way through either. So I actually brought some notes here because I have no idea what to expect here. <laughs> so this movie came out in 1966. It was directed by a gentleman by the name of William Bodine. His nickname was William One-Shot Bodine because he was an incredibly efficient filmmaker. Or... He didn't like to waste film because he didn't have the money to do so. This movie was shot in eight days. Now, it's a feature-length film, and unfortunately, it was also the last feature-length film he directed. He directed this about the same time he directed the movie that was released as part of a double feature with this movie, Billy the Kid Meets Dracula, starring John Carradine, which I have seen, and I do think is pretty cool. So, I'm hoping this one's just as cool. This movie, well, actually, let me talk a little bit more about Bodine. Bodine... His career goes all the way back to the silent films. He was making movies like in 1917, which is another reason why he was able to shoot so efficiently, because back then they gave somebody a roll of films to make a movie, and there you go. And they were short movies, so he had to just keep cranking them out and cranking them out. This guy actually ended up working with D.W. Griffith, who was a master of silent film, uh, film. He worked on movies like Birth of a Nation and Intolerance, which are classics. How he got to Jesse James meets Frankenstein from there... <laughs> You know, he had a long and varied list of types of movies he would do. He actually did a lot of television as well. He did monster movies. He did westerns. He did Lassie TV. He did Disney television. He did a couple episodes of The Green Hornet. He did religious films. I mean, he was all over the map. He worked with Bela Lugosi a couple of times. So he was really kind of just making whatever movie he could get his, you know, the money for, I suppose. But the studios loved him because he kept things under budget for the most part. So, you know, good on him. Unfortunately, like I said, this is the last film that he did. But... He's got one hell of a filmography if you want to go look up some of his other movies. I'm sure some of them are good. Not sure. Uh, <laughs> so this movie is Jesse James meets Frankenstein's Daughter. Unlike Frankenstein's Daughter last week, the Frankenstein in this film is actually the scientist, not the mo- I don't know. Did you guys see the movie last week? Yes. I, I don't know how this one's going to compare. I, it's completely different. This is a Western, so I, I don't know. Uh, the guy playing Jesse James is a guy by the name of John Lupton. He did a lot of westerns. Anybody familiar with his career? <coughs> Neither am I. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein is played by an actress by the name of Nardia Onyx. This was her last film. And the only thing that I could really dig up on her that I thought was even mildly interesting was back in the 1960s, she wrote a biography about the actor Johnny Weissmuller, who played Tarzan in a bunch of movies back in the day. So that's all I really know about her. Uh, you also have Jim Davis in this movie. Anybody in here watch the movie, or excuse me, the TV show Dallas? So Jim Davis is in this, and he played Jock Ewing in that. Jeff asked me to make that point. I don't know why. <laughs> what I do think is interesting about this movie is there are some connections in this movie to other better films. 
Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time is Creature from the Black Lagoon, which you saw here at the Joy not too long ago. An actor by the name of Nestor Pieva is in that film. He plays Lucas, the ship captain. Well, he's in this movie. I knew that was kind of neat. But the other really cool connection about this movie, pay attention to the lab equipment. When you see Dr. Frankenstein doing her Frankenstein thing, the lab equipment in that movie is the same lab equipment designed by Ken Strickfadden. This is the equipment that turned up in Young Frankenstein and the original Frankenstein films. This film is one of the first and only times this equipment was seen on color film. If you guys are going to see something kind of cool, I hope, uh, when it comes to that equipment. I'm looking forward to this movie. Like I said, I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby afterwards, uh, chatting about the movie with anybody who wants to chat about the movie. My podcast is Monster Kid Radio. You can find me at monsterkidradio.net or on iTunes or Stitcher or just look me up wherever or come chat with me, whatever, and I'll tell you how to find the show. We put out a new episode twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday, and like I said, we talk about nothing but classic and not-so-classic monster movies, including this one. I hope you guys enjoy Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter, and I'll see you guys around. James meets Frankenstein's daughter. This was a first-time viewing for me. I'd never seen the movie. I'd seen Billy the Kid versus Dracula a couple of times. Thought that was fun. And I thought this one was actually really good. The caliber of the film was much higher than I expected it to be, especially considering it was directed by William One-Shot Bodine. I really, really dug it. Now, I call it something in the conversation that we had in the movie theater lobby after the movie. I'm not going to say it now. I don't want to you know, get ahead of myself, but I really found this film fascinating. And I think this along with Billy, the kid versus Dracula might be somewhat, I don't know, informative of a subgenre that exists now that I really, really like. So keep your ears open for that. I thought the performances were a little stiff in spots, but I felt the pacing of the movie went along pretty quickly and fast enough that you didn't get too bogged down in any wooden performances. I thought the music was fun. I thought it was shot well. I thought the composition of shots, and again, I talked about the pacing being really good. I thought there was one weird story element that was thrown in that probably wasn't needed, but I understand that you need to have the romantic bit, get Jesse James hooking up with somebody in the film. I get it. Hmm. The Dr. Frankenstein character, she was great, and I really, really enjoyed Hank. He was played by Cal Boulder, and he just had this earnest, whatever you say, boss kind of quality that I really enjoyed. And of course, he's the innocent that gets corrupted by this horror movie, by this monster movie. I thought Cal was awesome in this. I didn't realize that he had actually appeared in an episode of Star Trek, or I would have mentioned that in the intro when I was talking in front of the Joy Cinema when I introduced it. You know what? I talked a little bit about the movie. We talked some more about the movie after the film, back when we saw it at the Joy. So why don't we just go right into that conversation again? You're going to hear my voice. You're going to hear the voice of Jeff Martin. He's the man behind the Joy Cinema. You're going to hear Maya Duncan, who's one of our patrons here at Monster Kid Radio. And you're going to hear the voice of Jeff 
Polier. Now, Jeff Polier is the man behind the Polier Graveyard. The Polier Graveyard is a local haunt. It's a yard haunt here in the Portland area. Look up Polier Graveyard on Facebook or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. What he's done is he's put up all these tombstones in his yard. The place looks pretty creepy. I went there last year and... It's not just tombstones. They're actually pretty clever. So go check that out if you're in the area, or at least check out his Facebook page. And again, let him know that MKR sent you his way. Why don't we go ahead and get into that conversation? You also might hear the voice of a gentleman by the name of James. He did not give me his last name, but he did give me the okay to go ahead and leave his voice on the recording if it got picked up during this conversation. I was holding the recorder kind of low at waist level when we were just standing around chatting. So the Audio quality isn't as high as it normally would be, but I still think it's listenable and enjoyable. So why don't we go ahead and get to that now? So the only observation that I want to add, if you yeah. want to throw that on the, you know, is uh, is an idea that I think was undeveloped. I mean, it only making it in eight days, you really can't get that far. But in the first two scenes, when you read both parties, both the Lopez family and in the front scenes, they both invoke the name of God, and there's a lot of like religious theme and symbolism. And Igor, if you notice his the the scar around his like head the thorns? is well, no, I was thinking the old monk hairstyle, mm. you know, from you know from the you know medieval times. And so it's like, so I wonder, I wonder if there was something that that they maybe they could have started, but they never finished it, never resolved. And so, so I might be reading too much into it, and I might you know. Well, Bodine was an atheist, so I don't know. <laughs> Well, no, not, not that, not that yeah. he was saying not, it was a pro-religious stance. Right. No, I'm not saying no, that. No, he did a lot of religious films, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I think, I think it, it could have been some kind of... You wouldn't even know that. I, would, I know nothing about him other than these films. I mean... So I did a crash course, the, man. I was like, oh, I'm going to introduce the movie. i got to learn a lot. Yeah, there was like... <laughs> you were, you, I wish I had... Check out the podcast. I recorded it. Oh, okay. I recorded it. This is excellent. Yeah. So... No, I was... When I was writing here, I felt like, God, there's no way you don't know everything. I was just typing because it was fun to write. I didn't know any of the stuff about the Dallas connection. I didn't watch Dallas. I didn't didn't watch it, but I knew it enough. As soon as he heard on stream, I'm like, Oh yeah! I recognize him from when you know yeah. I sneak yeah. out of my yeah. room on my parents from watching Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like uh, again, I I can't tap the Joe Bob DVD Jazz enough in the right. in the uh, in the commentary. He points. He talks about how he thinks uh, the Jesse James guy. I can't think of the actor's name. The guy who plays Jesse James like really just does not light up the screen exactly. He says, you know, there's just no real John real Lupton. Guy. Yeah. yeah, my first and, impression was yeah. just a little older than I expected. Yeah, yeah, too yeah, old. Yeah. But he, I expected but, more like Billy the Kid. Yeah. yeah, but then, but then he says, at some point when once the Jock Ewing guy shows up, he says, you know, I kind of think he would have made a better Jesse James than the other guy, don't you? You know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's the get the more, he has a presence, you know. Yeah. For a character that's supposed to have so much charisma. Yeah, the actor did not exude not a bit. Yeah, no, just a, yeah, it was a little rough. Black yeah. hat and the vest didn't quite do it. Yeah, kind of static. And the Colonel Sanders yeah. tie. But, yeah. <laughs> they all he had was, those. He was more of yeah. a holiday than a Jesse James. Yeah, I can see that. that makes, no, that's a good <laughs> point. I can see that. Or, or a yeah. Pat Masterson kind of guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Cassie? Uh, I, 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 he looked like an old West lawman guy. He really did. The guy who he was, was very crisp so, and, and very proper. Yeah, yeah. Somewhat professional. And yeah. then the uh, the the leader of the Wild Bunch. He, oh. Man, he could. <laughs> sell, I bet he could sell any car. I'm just. He, he, his pitch was smooth, oh, and he any was wagon. It, what? Any wagon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, he was. He was smooth. He was a smooth talker. Yep. So. 
But, uh, yeah. No, I liked it. I thought it was a good film. They wrapped up all the loose ends. They really did. You know, and really it, was, it was a complete thing. So, mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Yep, and you said next week it's the slime people. The slime people. Can't wait. Absolutely. Yeah. That's... That's awesome. Now, is it the same yes. movie I'm thinking? Is it the the cool monster design, the cool creatures it's a cool coming up? Monster. And... It's like uh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a cool monster. It, the monster shows up really early in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's a couple of them. It's not just one. There's more than like, yeah. There's like an people, army of people. Sort of. Yeah. And they coat L.A. in this yeah. fog that yep. is impenetrable. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. No, that's and, a good um, one. It's really fun to like. I mean, it's like if I if I've seen these movies, usually it's a long time ago. So I'll revisit them and like look at them and. And when uh, some guy online on some little site was talking about this, is he had a great point about how, like, the girl in this is really cute, you know, and, like, you know, for once, the guy takes her up on the offer when she throws herself at him, because usually in these movies, the guys always are like, ah, oh, there's no time for that, you know. It's like, what are you talking about? This girl's beautiful, and you're, you know. Uh -huh. But I thought, I thought, like, man, that's a pretty killer point about, <laughs> about this movie. Uh, anyway, that's a, that's a fun one. I think you guys will dig it if you guys are coming next nice. week. I think you like the slime people. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's got an awesome monster design, design, if nothing else. The monsters yeah, well, are just I, awesome. I just like this. You know, I oh, like yeah. the mixing of the, the Western the science fiction elements. You know, it's a bit like uh, uh, Adventures vs. Good County Jr. Yeah. Or, um, oh, I forgot the name of it. The one with John Delancey and um, MacGyver. They, there was one season, like when UPN first started, oh. it was a Western with science fiction yeah. elements. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it was. It's kind of maybe like a proto weird Western. Yeah. you know, yeah. something along those lines. So I just, I just recall the scene actually, going back on my religious theme. So when she was talking about making someone where she can. Where where she would like own like I'm creating life and I would control this person. I bet you, you know, knowing that he that he was an atheist now, I bet he was you know in a mocking way potentially. That's actually that's a good connection. Well, that's the it, it resolves it resolves for yeah. me now. I guess I'm, I mean say it out loud because it resolves that sure. aspect for me now. Well, that kind of thing so. goes all the way back to like Bride of Frankenstein when James Whale is talking about two men creating life without a woman being involved. You know, I mean it's very there's yeah. a lot of subversive kind of things yeah. Yeah. going on. You know, so potentially or it was a movie made in eight days and they didn't think it all the way yeah, But either way, it's it's kind of cool because you can really read into a lot of that kind of stuff if. And the guy was a master filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, he's he's credited or, or called kind of a schlock master, but he yeah. knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some good points. I like that. Yeah, I don't think this was sloggy. I mean, you know, no. it definitely showed its limitations, mm -hmm. but, you know, for, for what they had to work with, that was a well-made movie. It didn't show what seems the way a lot of these types of movies do. You know, it, it, it knew it was a low-budget movie, but it didn't really... Yeah. You didn't walk away from it feeling like you were cheated. Yeah. No, you know? not at all. So, yeah, and they and the stereotypes weren't over the top. No. So, and I appreciate that because the high sensitivity from last week. <laughs> true, true. There I, wasn't enough characters for it to go over the top. Well, <laughs> well you could have had the whole, you know, the whole Mexican stereotype and true. And yeah, they like weren't. Yeah. They, they ring as yeah. realistic and not just as realistic as anybody in the movie. Well, okay. Yeah. One exception, the Indians, the, the Native Americans. Oh, yeah. oh it's true. I yeah. about that scene. Really true, about. true. I am disappointed that nobody called him Hankenstein, but other than that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and good call catching the crowd early. Oh yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. We had a we had a, a rowdy bunch there for a little while, kind of. Oh 
really? Very loud. I I, I asked them yeah. to keep it down. So. What was that? What did they do? Well, they were just being really loud. They thought they they thought they were. You yeah, know, from Mystery Science. Oh, and I hate when that happens. You know, yeah. if it's a little bit, no big deal. But when it's just all the time, well, they're yeah. using their outside voice. It's like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I've gone in a couple times and asked people to kind of. Yeah. I remember when we did Plan Nine here a while back. Yeah. You, you even had signs up for that. So. The second night, yeah, we had it. Yeah, I put up signs because. I think that was last October. I don't got. I don't get out enough. The Plan Nine was like your big one year anniversary yeah, it was or whatever. Our anniversary yeah. First. People, here's the thing with the whole the whole uh, MST3K thing. People ask. All the time, like, oh, do you guys do a thing like that here? It's like, you know, what they don't get is, like, it's really, it's not like you think it would be, you know. It's yeah. not fun, and it's people, it's the last people you want yeah. to hear from yeah. talking to the whole movie. And, you know, it really is just, it's not what you think it would be. Leave it to the professionals. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, this is not to be, don't, don't do this, at, don't try this out. <laughs> don't do this at all. <laughs> so, Jeff, speaking of slime. Yes. No Nickelodeon movies. Growing up, growing up here in Portland, yeah. Channel Twelve used to show a movie like all the time called Green Slime. Yes, Green Slime. Yeah. It took yeah. place on the space station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Richard Jacob. I'd love to see it. That's. I wonder if it's. If I think somebody owns that, so it might they do. Be okay. Warner Brothers put out a DVD of it not Is too it? long ago, so they may have their hands on oh, it. Oh, well, maybe they'll check Netflix then. Um, I don't know if it's on Netflix. It's okay. part of their Burn on Demand archive. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But it's got an awesome opening title sequence. Oh, yeah. I love the music. I remember yeah. the movie. I, just, I don't remember the opening title sequence. It's that jazzy kind of the green slide kind yes. of song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that. Yeah. Just a little bit still in my brain after all these years. Yep. No, it's a good that's one. Awesome. See, uh, that's okay. I'm going to no. head out, but one more thought. Yes, sir. Great length. It, it wasn't too long. You know? No, I was worried about that. Having not seen it, I saw it was an yeah. hour and a half, and I thought, oh, it's going to run a little long. But I didn't. I agree with you. I thought it ran about Every as long as it needed to. sort of served its purpose, and mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. It, it was nice. Yeah, no, Good I dug it a lot. This is one of my favorite Weird Wednesday experiences so far. So cool. Oh shoot! I'm, All right. I'm so sorry, Jeff. It's good to see you, man. Oh, thanks as always for spreading the word on Facebook. <laughs>Dr. Todd Browning directed Bela Lugosi in Dracula in 1931. He directed a movie about a prize fighter, and then in 1932, he directed Freaks. And it didn't go so well for him. Freaks is a really interesting film, but for 1930s audiences, it just wasn't something the general public was ready to accept. Heck, even today, it can be hard to watch. At the time, the movie was a bomb, and Browning found himself unable to pursue the movie projects that he really wanted after that. Somehow, he ended up in the position to direct Lugosi again and actually remake one of his previous films that starred Lon Chaney. The original film was 1927's silent and now unfortunately lost film, London After Midnight. Reports state that Browning changed up a few elements, separated a few single characters into two new characters, and so on for the remake. Either way, he was now directing Lugosi again in 1935's Mark of the Vampire. Sounds like another vampire film, doesn't it? Well, I don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen the film. What I will say about the movie is that I really liked most of it. It's spooky, it's creepy, it's smooth. There are some really nice moments throughout the movie. I'm familiar with Todd Browning and, of course, Bela Lugosi, but I didn't know too much about the rest of the cast and crew until recently. 
I was so impressed with the cinematography, so I looked him up and found out that James Wong Howe was the man behind the camera on this film. His career started in the silence, which would have given him and Browning some common ground. However, and I know I'm veering away from Legosi here, it seems like I have some fun research to do sometime after Halloween. The bio on James Wong Howe on the Internet Movie Database has definitely piqued my interest. He seems like a fascinating person, and I really hope there's a good biography or two out there on him. Go look him up. Anyway, Legosi, back on track. In the movie, Legosi doesn't say much. In fact, he says more in the trailer for the film than in the film itself. You know what? It kind of works. There's a weird dreamlike quality to a lot of what's happening in the movie when Legosi as Count Mora is on screen. He spends a lot of time walking, looking haunted himself. Most of the time, he's accompanied by Carol Borland, who's playing Luna, who's kind of his daughter. Again, I'm dancing around spoiling the final reveal, so I'm not going to go much further than that. Nearly everything leading up to this reveal actually works. This movie is a spooky vampire movie, complete with a really cool scene in which Luna glides slash flies slash hovers down from one floor to another courtesy of some very neat vampiric wings, and is blended with a murder mystery. The murder mystery elements do feel a little shoehorned in at times, especially when they play against the vampire elements, but overall, save for the last few minutes of the movie... Mark of the Vampire is an enjoyable film. It gave Lugosi an opportunity to act in a more subtle way, with virtually no dialogue, and plenty of chances for expressing himself with his face and his hands in a way that makes me think I should track down some of his silent films. And, reportedly, Carol Borland's appearance helped inspire Charles Adams when it came to creating Morticia Adams of the Adams Family. Browning's direction is a lot more fluid than what he displayed a few years prior with Dracula, And I already mentioned the cinematography. There are a lot of elements to love about this movie, but I also know the ending isn't loved as much. Reportedly, even Legosi himself didn't like it. Now, thanks to Freaks, Browning wasn't afforded enough creative control to keep some of the more subversive elements of the original script intact. The reason why Legosi's character has a bullet wound in his freaking head the entire film, for example. And he and Legosi didn't quite agree on the final twist. Either way, if you can forgive the final few minutes... You're in for a spooky, smooth ride. Bela would wear the vampire cape again in 1944 in The Return of the Vampire. Now, this was a Columbia Pictures movie, and Legosi plays a vampire named Armand Tesla, but it easily could have been a Universal Dracula movie. In fact, the studio intended for this to be a Dracula movie proper, but Universal got a little uppity, and the powers that be made a few tweaks to the script, and voila, new vampire named Tesla. Now, there's not just a vampire in the movie. There's also a werewolf named Andreas, played by Matt Willis. The Return of the Vampire predates Universal's House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, so it's interesting to see this movie's werewolf and vampire interact with one another in the same film. One of the main reasons I love these classic films is because we get to see where so many of the now near-stereotypical tropes and ideas come from when it comes to our movie monsters. In The Return of the Vampire, it's clear that Tesla the Vampire views Andreas the werewolf as beneath him, as subservient and even disposable. There is a little bit of a rivalry here... And I'm thinking that this is the first time we see this on film, which is now something we see nearly any time there are vampires and werewolves in the same movie together. No, I'm not talking about Twilight, but the Underworld movies, for example. Now, is this groundbreaking? Maybe. But if that's not enough for you, how about this? The role of the women in this film. Specifically, Frida Ines Court in the role of Lady Jane Ainsley. There's a bit of prologue in the film, a sort of prequel to the main story, and she's not too involved. However, once the story really kicks in, 
She's our hero. She knows what must be done. She leads the charge against the vampire, and she's believable. Sure, the authorities don't believe her for most of the film, but it's less about her being a woman and more about her being someone who talks about vampires. Nina Fosh also appears in the film, and even if she plays a victim in the movie, she's still atypical, offering to put herself in harm's way for the sake of her fiancé. This movie, made in 1944, was so refreshing, and it certainly helped that Nina Fosh and Frida Inescourt turned in solid performances. Lugosi's performance here, though, outshines them all. He more or less gets to play a dual role here as the vampire and then as the person the vampire impersonates. The story revolves around Tesla seeking revenge on those who staked him, um, I mean spiked him. For some reason, he's not staked. They actually use the word spike when they talk about what they do to the vampire to stop him. Of course, we wouldn't have a movie if this was a permanent solution to the vampire problem, and Tesla, thanks to World War II, is able to get up and about again. Now, this movie... It's one of my favorite Lugosi films. There are a few detractors out there when it comes to Andreas the werewolf, but I don't mind his costume, and the fact that he can carry on a conversation in werewolf mode doesn't bother me. The costume isn't any more an excuse to cover up the bulk of his body and thus eliminating the full body makeup that would be required than what was done with Talbot in Universal Wolfband films. And this werewolf doesn't pull at our sympathetic heartstrings the way Cheney's does, but he's a different wolfman and works well in this movie. Of these two non-Dracula kind of sort of vampire films Lugosi did, The Return of the Vampire is the one I'd go to first. And then again, and then again. Mark of the Vampire is interesting and has a lot of intriguing elements, but they just don't hold together at the end. By design. The Return of the Vampire, though, is the complete package, the real deal. It's easily one of the best spiritual sequels to the original Dracula, and I can't recommend it enough. Strong female characters, a role that Lugosi can, no pun intended, well, okay, actually it is intended. A role he can sink his teeth into. A bit of monster mashup going on here. An interesting story that spans two world wars. There's some near unfortunate comic relief thrown in, but that seemed typical of the era, and it's not as bad as some of the comic relief characters that director Lou Landers threw into 1935's The Raven, which he also directed Lugosi with Karloff. Unlike in The Raven, though, the comic relief in The Return of the Vampire is weaved well into the overall narrative of the film. This movie fires on all cylinders for me, and it's a Lugosi film I come back to time and time again. Let no one leave. Move on, yet your power. We will not stop until we have discovered the vampires who seek the life of this beautiful girl. And her lover. Watch out! They may be hovering over you. Or you. Or you! Stalks through the night. No one is safe. Their fury would follow us to the ends of the earth. No, we must destroy them all together. <coughs> Scourge of mankind. They shall be found. I hereby summon 
to this place next week, every person within the sound of my voice. You shall be judges of this eerie conspiracy. Here we shall meet Lionel Barrymore, Elizabeth Allen, Bela Lugosi, Jean Herschel, Lionel That brings us to the end of episode 145 of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Jeff Martin and the Joy Cinema for bringing in Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and for bringing in movies like The Slime People, which was a Monster Kid Radio crash. We referenced it in our conversation. I did not bring the recorder, and in fact, there was some technical problems, so we didn't get a chance to see The Slime People on the big screen. I'd seen it before, so it wasn't a huge loss for me, but... It's not like Jeff left us hanging. He did end up showing another film instead. So we still got a movie. We still got a Weird Wednesday. Still had a great time at the Joy Cinema. Big thanks to Jeff. Big thanks to Jeff Pollier at the Pollier Graveyard and Maya Duncan for taking part in that conversation after the film. I hope to see you guys there again at future Weird Wednesday events. I know this week he's bringing in a House of Wax for the Halloween week and half week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm not sure what day I'm going. I think I'm going Wednesday, but I don't know what time it's going to happen. So I will be there for that. Maybe I'll see you there. I know he's also bringing in The Exorcist, which is a little outside of the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse. But, you know, if you're in the area, go check it out. Go support The Joy. It's a great cinema. It's a great place to go watch movies. The Hollywood Theater is also a great place to go watch movies. Tonight is the double feature Hammer Film presentation at the Hollywood Theater, we're crashing that as well. We got Twins of Evil and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. And you know I'm bringing my recorder to that. So that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to sharing with you the next episode of Monster Kid Radio here in a couple of days, where I'm going to bring you a recording from the Monster Kid Radio crash of the Monster Squad. I think that's probably appropriate to release the day before Halloween. You're going to hear me on that episode, as well as some people that have appeared on Monster Kid Radio in the past. I'm going to leave you guessing. Let you try to figure out who was there, and we'll find out if you were right here in a couple of days. In the meantime, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. The music we played during Legosi Ween, Part 7, was Dance Macabre, Sad Part, No Violin, by Kevin McLeod. You can find him over at Incompetech. That music was licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license as well. You can find out about that over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. The song Saucy belongs to the Wawachis. It appears on their album, The Wawachis Ride, and it's on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days. (laughs) 